you to grab a copy of God's Word or turn God's Word on, whatever that is for you today. Or you can grab a Bible and the chairs we've provided. to page 531. We're going, to be in, we're going to start off in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. So in the Bibles we provide, it's page 531. So as our children are sliding out, just a quick review of where we've, we've been so far in our money series. The first Sunday, we looked at really this word treasure, that the way we spend money reveals the treasures in our life. And then last week, John Reddy gave us a, a great sermon on what it looks like to manage God's money through giving. We've got this first piggy bank here um, and gave us a number of practical patterns and attitudes that we should be implementing as we look to manage God's money through giving. Today, we're going to be looking at managing God's money through saving. And I feel like I've got a pretty daunting task before me today because my guess is that right now, you're probably not thinking about saving. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, let's get real here. How many of you have been peeking at the Black Friday ads that have already been leaked on the internet? I, look, I hear you laughing. Let me just, who's been peeking? Anybody? No, you guys are lying. Okay, we got, we got one over here. You, I mean, let's really get honest. Not only have you been peeking, I mean, some of you are already planning out what next week is going to look like, right? I mean, you've got Thanksgiving, you've got turkey, maybe you've got a little flag football contest in the morning, a great meal that you probably eat on a couple times a day, you get a good nap, Thanksgiving afternoon, and then it's shopping time. I mean, now shopping stores are opening up Thanksgiving evening, starting in midnight and on through Friday. I see some of you are shaking your heads, no, that's not me. I'm glad that you've got it. Um, not that that's bad or anything, because you might even find my wife and I out uh, rambling around my point. We're entering into Thanksgiving and then Christmas, and probably what's on a lot of your minds is not about what you can save, but about what you can spend. Maybe you've even had conversations um, recently um, with your spouse over, man, putting this Christmas list together for the kids. Or maybe you've even started your task list on ideas for that boyfriend or girlfriend or mom or dad or spouse. We're thinking about what we want to spend. And so I realize that as we talk about saving this morning, that I'm going to be battling that. But here's what I want to pro propose before you is that saving is not only wise. My guess is it's not going to take too much for me to convince you that you should not spend everything that you have and even more, that you should probably save some. But I want you to hear this also. Saving also can destroy your soul. Saving is wise, but it can destroy your soul. And so here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the two sides of the coin of savings today. We're going to look at the wisdom of savings and the foolishness of savings. And then we're going to, we're going to wrap up and say, how do we live in the tension of both of these biblical realities? And so I'm going to start off, the first one we're going to start off and just look at the wisdom of savings. So we're going to go to Proverbs 6, and I'm going to read for us here, beginning 
in verse 6. Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 6. The Word of God says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The first truth that I want you to see today is this, is that we should be wise and save so you don't presume upon God. Be wise and save so you don't presume upon God. Solomon here in Proverbs calls us to go to the ant, to consider the ways of the ant, to, to look at nature. And he says, look at this ant. What does the ant do? And, and there are a number of principles that, that we could draw from the ant. Like in verse 7, the ant doesn't have any chief, officer, or ruler. There's initiative here. No, nobody's like telling the ant, go do this. There's initiative in the ant. And, but verse 8 says that she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The primary principle that I want us to think about specifically related to saving and the ant is this. The ant has the foresight to see that there are coming times when there will be need and yet in those very same times, the provisions will be lacking. It's harvest time. He's saying, look at the ant. The, the ant knows that winter is coming. And so what does the ant do? The ant, when there is plenty in summer and harvest, gathers and prepares for this winter that is coming. He's just saying, look to the ant and be wise. The primary principle that is crucial for saving is that we must have foresight for future needs. And I could go to a number of places in the Bible to show some other illustrations about saving. Let me just give you one. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Yeah, Joseph. His brothers sell him off. He ends up down in Egypt. And a lot of bad things happen to him. But eventually, he ends up in the place of interpreting the dreams of the Pharaoh. This is in Genesis chapter 41. We're not going to look at it today, but just make a note there to go and look. And what happens? God, God gives him this foresight to interpret the dreams of the Pharaoh. And this is what the dream said. Joseph goes to Pharaoh and says, your dream says that there are going to be seven years of plenty. And after the seven years of plenty, there are going to be what? Seven years of famine. And, and the text says that God gives him wisdom to provide a solution to the Pharaoh. And it says they were going to set aside a fifth of the produce of the land during the seven plentiful years to be used during the years of famine. And that's exactly what they did. And you know what happened? The famine came, just as Pharaoh's dream had predicted, and they had enough. And it says not only them, do you know that Joseph now was in the position that it says even the surrounding nations were coming to him in order to be provided for. 
Just one example. So as we think about saving, we can see that there are patterns and even times in the Bible where God had said, look, there are future needs coming and it would be foolish of you not to save and to prepare for those times. So here's what I want to do. You may be saying, okay, so, so how, what are some practical, tangible ways that I can think about saving? I want to give you a number of them that I believe that would be God-honoring. God honoring. And, and the first one is this. The wise save for short-term future anticipated needs. An example of these may be, maybe you're seeing practically that in order for you to fulfill your God-given role in life, that a vehicle would be a good means to that. And so you see that that is a short-term anticipated need, maybe that either your vehicle's running down or the need for one to provide for an expanding family. That may be something that you would save for. What about you desire to have a child? And so there would be the need to save up. What about adoption? A couple weeks ago, we had an orphan Sunday. And you, you feel compelled that I, I would really like to look at what it looks like to, to do foster care or global international adoption. There's probably going to be some saving there, and that would be a good thing. Like, you just don't wake up one day and realize, hey, I'm going to go adopt a child. There are financial implications for you to follow through with these God-given desires in life. Maybe another short term would be some renovations around the house. I'm just throwing out. You guys could probably see there's some short-term needs that, that I could save for. But another point that I think would be wise is that we should also save for long-term future anticipated needs. It's like one that's staring me in the face right now is now that we have four kids is I'm, I'm sure they, it would be a good thing for them to go to college one day. So what does it look like for me to help save and prepare for college? Now, We'll touch on this a little bit later. Notice I'm not, first of all, saying let's think about how we can go in debt to provide for college. Now, I'm not trying to just throw everybody under the bus, but I want you to think about this, that that may not necessarily be the first choice, that what would it look like to think through saving to provide for something in the future, like college, maybe something like a down payment or a house, even larger term, something like a retirement. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit time later talking a little bit more about retirement, but for us to foresee, there's going to come a time where physically I'm not going to be able to probably perform in a way that I can now to bring and pay and provide for my family, so it would be wise now to prepare for those years. That's wisdom to think about that. So the wise would say for short term. The wise would say for long term. The wise would also say for unexpected emergencies. Can I get any nods here? Have you ever heard this? It's going to rain, so you need to plan for a rainy day. Hey, look, the reality, if you haven't realized this yet, is it's going to rain. Emergencies come. I mean, you can't predict ending up in the emergency room a couple times over a year. You know, I'll just personal example. I cannot foresee that my son is going to grab my wife's hot tea and pour it down the front of his face and us end up in the burn unit down, down in, in the city of Boston. I cannot foresee that he's going to get his pinky slammed in the door and it's blowing up black and blue. What I can foresee is the reality that I'm living life long enough to know that, you know what, things are going to happen that I don't have the foresight. I cannot tell you particularly, but I do know this. Emergencies are going to come. This is the reality of the world that 
we live in. So it would be foolish not to plan for emergencies. For instance, what might be some others? A lost job. Nobody is planning, hey, I'm going to lose my job at this particular day. But we know that people lose their jobs. Even people that are doing a great thing in their job. Not necessarily losing your job because that you're not performing, but losing your job because maybe the money's not there to continue to provide for your position. Maybe it's a medical emergency, a few that I just mentioned there. Maybe it's an unexpected pregnancy. Maybe it's major car issues or the death of a loved one. So you may be sitting there asking, hey, man, I want to be wise. What does it look like practically to plan for some of these unexpected emergencies? And I'll just go back to the ant. Randy Alcorn has used this illustration, and he says this. He says, the more hostile the climate, the larger the anthill. The milder the climate, the smaller the anthill. And this may change over season. So I'll just give you two categories here. There's probably a high-risk scenario, which I would encourage you, probably the six-month rule. Financial counselors usually encourage to, to save up three to six months an emergency fund for expenses. So the high-risk scenario is your income commission-based. Are you self-employed? Are you single? Are you a one-income married household? Is your job situation unstable? Does your family have chronic medical problems? As you're processing through that, maybe you want to lean on the higher end because you're looking, you're, the goal of this emergency fund is to minimize risk in your life. And so you're, you're looking at what is the climate in your life, but maybe you're looking and you say, man, the climate's pretty mild and it's a low risk scenario. So you may lean on the three month rule. Have you been in your job for 15 years? Is it pretty stable? Is everyone in your family healthy? And so these are just some practical things. It would be wise to save for unexpected emergencies. Now, I'll just pause here for a second. We did a survey a few weeks ago to just poll our people. And this is what you guys told us. 53% of you said that you do not have an adequately funded emergency fund. So I realized that I'm speaking to about half of you that said, I don't have it. That, that I'm less than three months away from either going into debt or bankruptcy to provide for my family. The wise will save for emergency funds, but the wise will also begin saving as early as they can. You may be here and you're like, man, I'm a college student. I really don't have much money right now. Man, how should I, man, how can I even save? Because I'm probably head over heels in debt, but to even, even start thinking about this, um, Dave Ramsey, he, he uses two guys to share this illustration. He says, the power of compound interest. He says, compare Ben and Arthur. Arthur. Ben. Ben does this. Ben starts saving at 19. He saves 2000 a year until age 26, eight total years, and he never invests another dime. But Arthur starts at 27, and saves 2000 a year until age 65, a total of 39 years. Who has the most money at 65? Let's see what the... Arthur invested a total of 78000 over 39 years, and he has roughly $1.5 at age 65. You, the point here is not to argue on the 
the precision of these numbers. We could do, a lot of that's contingent upon rate of return or whatever. But the point I want you to see is this. Look at Ben. Ben invested a total of 16000 Look at the difference, 78 versus 16, over eight years, and he has $2.2 million at age 65, a difference of over 700000 if, if nobody sat down and explained that to you, let me just encourage you, you need to come take our Financial Peace University class. It's going to start in January. I know this is a shameless plug for that. But these, the point of this is the power of compound interest. Because you may be thinking, hey, I'm going to save. I'll start thinking about saving a little bit older in life. I mean, when I, I get established, I get into my late 30s and my 40s, I'll really then start to think about retirement. But the reality is, is if you could be in a, a great position early in life to look, we're not talking about a ton of money here. To just put away a little early with compound interest, it has pretty incredible results in the long run. But you may be sitting here and you're saying, man, I'm not 19 years old. I'm 50, 60, 70, and I'm behind the eight ball on getting compound interest. I don't want you to walk away discouraged. My point here is for this, these young folks to see the opportunity and potential that is there if you will be wise about your money at an early age. Another truth I want to share with you is that the wise build savings through hard, hard work, not get-rich-quick schemes. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but I just want to share a couple of Proverbs. This isn't my opinion. Look at this. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11 says this. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Or Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who was hasty comes only to poverty. As I think about savings, my hope is not in some get-rich-quick scheme, whatever you want to say. You know, the, the, you, you, you see all kind of promotions or ads about, I mean, you can get rich quick or this. Look, the reality is, is for most of us, it's just going to be working faithfully and saving little by little over time, and God will bless. That is to put my trust that God will provide through hard work and care for me and my needs. So the wise see saving, and they implement that. On the other hand, the fool, if we're to look, compare the wise with the fool, the fool doesn't save at all, and in fact spends everything that they have with no foresight to future need. So as we think about what is not wise, it would be the fool. Let's take everything that I have right now and I'm going to go spend it. I'm heading out on Black Friday and I'm going to spend all of my money. Who cares about the future? Let's get it here and now. And this is to invite poverty. Man, our meta, meta memo this week is Proverbs 21.20. It says this, Precious treasure and oil are in the wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. What's the point? A foolish man is going to devour everything that he gets, but a wise man is going to store up and prepare for the days to come. Let me just ask you this. Why do many people struggle with saving? Or let's get a little more personal. Why do you struggle with saving? My guess is that it's typically not because you have such an incredible trust in God. Right? Right? I mean, is that it? Man, I just have such great faith 
that, man, I'm really not saving. I know that God will provide. My guess is that it's probably you're not saving because of self-indulgence, presumption upon God, or lack of foresight and discipline. I love what Dave Ramsey says. He says, one definition of maturity is learning to delay pleasure. Children do what feels good. Adults devise a plan and follow it. So let me just ask you, as it relates to how you handle money, would you say you act more like a child who has no concept of delaying pleasure? Or is there a plan in place that can lead to discipline to provide and care for your needs? So the fools spend everything, but additionally, fools borrow instead of saving. You're going to hear a couple names continue to come up. It's probably two of the guys that have been most influential as I think about one, about money. On the one hand, it's Dave Ramsey, best-selling author. We've got some books over here. Um, I, as I got married, I just started listening to him daily on the radio because I had to drive about 40 miles a day. So just helping me think about money. I wasn't taught a ton about money growing up. On the other hand, is a guy named Randy Alcorn, a pastor who's, who's really helped balance me out Um, And so you're going to hear a couple of those names come up. Dave Ramsey says this, debt is financial whining. And it goes like this, I want it. And I don't care if I've got money, I'm going to have it. But Proverbs 22.7 says this, the borrower is slave to the lender. Hey guys, listen to this. Jamie Munson, who's written a book on money, says the temptation to spend spend, spend is so strong, however, that many of us all but close the shackles across our own wrists. And he's talking about Proverbs 22, 7. The borrower is slave to the lender. When you go into debt, you are signing up somebody, you're giving control over your life to somebody else to manage your money. You're saying, hey, here it is. As he says, you're all but closing the shackles around your own wrist to go and serve somebody else. And so I know we live in a world that basically says, if you don't have the money, just money, just go get credit or go into debt and, and figure out how you'll pay for it later. But that's not biblically how we should think about things. Now, before you think I'm wrong, I'm not saying that you should never have a mortgage or there might be some role, but I would say for the most of us, we're too often, if we're to lean on one side or the other, it's not save and pay for things, it's I'll just go into debt and figure out how to pay for it later. And biblically, we need to just pause and say, God, help me, teach me, and how I can free myself up so that I'm not in, in debt, I'm not enslaved to somebody who has control over me. Do you guys know what, what Murphy's Law is? Have you heard of Murphy? What's Murphy say? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And here's what Dave Ramsey says. He says, you know who Murphy likes to live with? Murphy takes up residence with broke people. He says, if you don't have money, I guarantee you, Murphy is going to come knock on your door and he's going to live in your spare bedroom. In other words, if you don't have money, you just feel like everything continues to go wrong. 
Emergencies come left and right. But you know what? A crazy thing happens when you start getting wise about saving and emergency fund and some of these other things. You know what happens? Murphy leaves and goes to somebody else. It's just a strange thing that happens. And so I'll just share a stat with you. 75% of the Forbes 400 said the best way to build wealth is to become and stay debt-free. These are some of the, the wealthier people they're saying, this is how you get it. It's not you use debt as a tool to get rich. You get out of debt and you stay debt free. And so get this. I don't think I have to convince you too hard. Saving is wise. But I want you to get this as we transition to another text. It is a sin if it's done for the wrong reasons and without a view to eternity. So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. In the Bibles we provide, it's page 871, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said this, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. On one hand, I want you to see the wisdom of savings that is even from the Bible. And on the other hand, the second truth I want you to see is this, is that we should flee the foolishness of hoarding so you don't replace God. On the one hand, be wise. On the other hand, flee the foolishness of hoarding so you don't replace God. God. You guys get the story. Some from the, someone from the crowd comes up to Jesus and he wants to resolve an estate dispute with his brother. Hey, can, can you help us solve this? Jesus refuses to get involved with that dispute and rather warns the crowd. Notice, not just the brother. He turns to them, to the crowd, and he warns them against covetousness, greed, and excessive possessions. And then he tears, tells a parable. And it's the parable of the rich fool. And he's doing this to teach a lesson. Now let me just ask you this. As we look at this parable, what was the man's challenging situation that he found himself in? Was it good or bad? 
The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Does anybody want to prosper in the work and business that you do? Is that a bad thing in itself? No. And he thought, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. I mean, he's got an overabundance of needs. It's not a bad situation. The problem, that isn't the problem. Friends, I would ask you this. If you were to leave today and you were to go home, and on your front doorsteps, there was an envelope that you opened it up, and it was $4 million. Is that good or bad? Could be good, it could be bad. What determines that? How you respond, right? In my community group this past week, I started out just by asking this, hey, if you found $10,000 a day, your first thought, what comes into your heart, what are you going to do with it? How many of you right now just thought about something you want to spend it on? Did it even ever cross your mind? Give, save, then spend? You see my point here? My point is, is as we think about money, we are, we are just consumed with materialism. It's about what I can spend, 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 get, and not about primarily what I can give or that I could even save. This guy is not in a bad problem, but is, we know that the way he responds is not the way God wanted him to respond, right? He says, you fool. Jesus calls him, you're a fool. Tonight, your soul is required of you. And all these things you've stored out, what's going to happen to them? So I want to give you some principles to balance out the wisdom of saving with the potential foolishness of hoarding. And the first, first one is this. Any savings you have, has been provided by God and is owned by God. I want you to look at the text here with me. Look at verse 17. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Where is God? I mean, let me ask you this. Why did his, his land produce so plentifully? God. God is the reason that he's prospered. And in his reasoning, God is completely absent. The rich fools is completely wrong. My crops, my grain, my goods. This is my wealth because I earned it. Hey, I don't know your mindset or attitude as you're thinking here. And I'm not to minimize hard work. But at the end of the day, the reason you're able to work hard is because God gives you the strength and the provision and the ability. It is the grace of God in your life. Arrogance is the problem with the rich fool, not preparation. Here's what you need to get. God owns everything. And he's entrusted these things to us. Our first job is to figure out what God wants us to do with his money, not ours. It's not my money, it's his. And so the rich fool morally mismanaged his money because he gave no thought to how God wanted him to use his money. The second thing I want you to get is this. You should align your saving goals with the mission and will 
of God. Did the rich fool do that? Let's just go to the text. Verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Is that the purpose of savings? I want to store up as much as I can so I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry as I walk into eternity and face my Creator. Saving simply to build wealth is extremely dangerous. It's usually motivated by greed or fear and worry, and the goal is to stockpile resources so that I no longer have to depend upon God's provision and protection. If your saving leads you or is motivated by the thought, man, this way I don't have to trust God, you are in extremely dangerous position. Some people see this as the goal is to have financial independence. I don't want to have to rely on anyone. This is why Paul in 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Guys, do not overlook that because by the fact that by the very fact that you're living in America, whether you consider yourself rich or poor, you're in the top 30% probably of everybody in the world. And by that standard you're rich. And Paul's saying those who desire, they fall into a temptation to many potential harmful desires, and it plunges people into ruin and destruction. As you seek to be wise and save, you need to hear this clearly. Because saving can destroy your soul. Let me give you a few words about retirement. Because often when we think about saving, we think about it in the context of retirement. Saving for retirement is not saving so that you can quit the job you hate. You guys hear that? For many people, I hear them talk about saving. Man, I'm in this horrible job. I can't wait to, 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 to retire so that I can... Get... Look, if you hate your job, get a different career path and do something that lights the fire underneath you that you can wake up and spend your life for the glory of God. Look, the go... don't waste your life doing something that you hate. You guys hear me on that? I'm not trying to be mean. I just get, I get passionate about this because like, why? You got one life to live. I love my job. I'm not doing this because, man, somebody's told me to do it or just because it's paying the bills. I love what I get to do. I wake up and, and if I wouldn't care for, careful, I'd spend many more hours than I should be doing this. That's my temptation. Find something you love to do and spend your life Doing it. But God didn't create you to hit cruise control at age 65 either. Which I think many of us think. I'm going to work. I'm going to retire. And then I'm just going to 
be merry, drink, and relax. I'm going to hit cruise control for the rest of my life. Nowhere in Scripture do we ever see God calling healthy people to stop working. You guys get that? Nowhere. What does that mean? It's perfectly legitimate to work and not get paid, though. You guys follow me there? So you may work shorter hours. The work may be different. The pay may be lower or non-existent. But this idea that, man, I just don't work or that, man, I'm just relaxing, that's, that's nowhere. You've got one life to live exhausted for the sake of the glory of God. Don't fall for the American dream. That says you get enough money so then you go live wherever you want to live and just waste, man, a good chunk of your life, potentially 20, 30, even more, 40 years. But I also want you to see that retirement is not the ultimate goal in life. For some people, the ultimate goal, the major event that you're looking and you anticipate retirement. And whatever happened to the return of Christ? I mean, where is eternity? I mean, that is such, that is, as I shared a few weeks ago, that's living for the dot and not for the line. The line is eternity. To, to just make retirement, the ultimate goal is to say, I'm going to live for this little dot and I'm going to neglect millions of years. Don't do that. So how should you retire? Retire to give and not Get. I love the example here of Rick Warren. Rick Warren is the author of the best-selling book, Purpose Driven Life. Did you know that he has retired from staff at Saddleback Church? 20,000 plus congregation. And he paid back his salary of 25 years of ministry and he works there now as a volunteer. Now, do you know who the lead pastor of that church is? It's Rick Warren. And he doesn't receive a dime. He's a volunteer. He gives away now over 90% of his income. Which is going along with the question Ready asked us to contemplate last week. It's not how much you should give. It's we need to first ask how much is enough to keep. And then give the rest of it away. For, for Rick Warren, he's decided I just need 10% and I'm giving the rest of it away. So Randy Alcorn, man, great challenge. He says this. He says, if you've saved for retirement and no longer need to work for pay, then work for God, the church, the poor, or underprivileged children. And don't forget the great opportunity you have to become a self-supported missionary for two or five or 10 or 20 years. Man, look at it as opportunity. Look at what you can do. Nobody has to pay you a dime. You can self-fund. Your work. Man, I guarantee if you go to Tanner today and say, Tanner, I've, I've retired. I don't need another paycheck. Can you put me to work? Guarantee you, you can come to me too. Or, or John Reddy. Man, there's tons to do. Can I get an amen? Amen, amen I hear But I'm going to press a little bit harder. Is any resource untouchable to God? Let's talk about emergency funds. Here's what a financial planner is going to tell you. Here's what you do. You take the three to six months, and where do you put it? It's got to be liquid, right? 
Put it in a savings account so that if you need it today, you can go and get it. But you don't touch it for anything but an emergency. Or retirement. If you're, if you're at retirement age, you're going to sit down with a financial counselor and they're going to say, here's what you're going to do. The goal of retirement is that you can save enough that you can live off of the 10% interest that, that you earn. And you never touch the principal. The principal is off limits. You just live off of the interest. Listen to this. If anything we have is off limits to God, including emergency funds, homes, possessions, the principal in our retirement accounts, if it's not fair game for prayerful dialogue, then let's be honest about it. We aren't stewards, we're embezzlers. This is what Randy Alcorn says. Guys, this convicts me. And this is why I hold these two guys up. Man, I love Dave Ramsey. He's a practical, man, you need to be saving. And I get it, this idea of living off of the interest and the principle. But Randy Alcorn says, but you need to wrestle with this. The principle is as much God's as the interest. And the emergency fund is as much God's as the rest. Nothing is off limits to God. So can you pray about everything today and say, God, it's on the table that's what it means to be a steward. But you may say, man, here's what I want to do. I want to leave a great inheritance for my kids. That potentially could be a bad thing. Has anybody seen a family destroyed over an inheritance? So I just want you guys to see that. I've seen it. So that may not be the best thing. But the second thing I want you to wrestle with is there's no guarantee that my kids will use this money in a God-honoring way. So how do I know that this money is going to be used for the glory of God? I can't leave it up to my kids. It's, God's going to put that weight on me, not my kids. So you need to wrestle with that as well. Man, another practical one that, man, guys, it's getting tougher. We got we to gotta wrestle with this. It's this. When Jesus returns, all savings will be eternally useless. Did you hear what Jesus said? Full, this night your soul is required of you. And these things you have stored up, whose will they be? The rich fool never had a chance to use any of the money and possessions that he had stockpiled. We read earlier from Ecclesiastes 5, I came into this world naked and that's exactly how I'm going to leave. I can take nothing with me. And so look, I realize that there's a really tough tension here. Look, this isn't easy for me. If you're sitting here and you're like, hey, money's easy for me. I'm cruising. I'm going to say, no, it's not for me. And I feel like I'm in a really healthy place because I have to hear, on the one hand, I need to be wise in emergency funds and retirement. And I also need to wrestle with this. If Jesus comes back tomorrow, every dime in my retirement account is useless. I'm restless over that. And I hope I'm that way for the rest of my life. And so I'm not here giving you an easy answer today. But you need to walk away with attention that if Jesus comes back tomorrow, you're going to stand before God and you're going to give account for how you've managed the resources that he's given you. So I'll share another quote from Randy Alcorn. Here's how he's kind of fleshed this principle out. He says, I don't want to be a poor fool by not planning for the future, but I also don't want to be a rich fool by over planning for it. 
Above all, I want to make plans for the right future, the eternal one. I want to ask how each investment will be paying off not just 30 years from now, but 30 million years from now. So I just pause and ask you this. Are you ready for the return of Christ? Because ultimately, as we think about money, Jesus informs our money. Guys, hear this. Jesus died on the cross for your greed. Jesus lived a perfect life. He's the one that's talking about this. He went to the cross. He was punished for your sin, for my sin. He died for your worry. He died for your fear. He died for your hoarding. So that you would come to him and be free. Know this, because I pray that we would believe it, that we have a heavenly father who's saying, sell everything and come follow me. And I'm eager to give you the kingdom. I want to give you eternal reward. Live for the line. Have you come to Jesus today to invest your life for eternity? You can do that by placing your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins and gaining the greatest treasure that you could ever have. So you need to wrestle with that. Man, I think it would be wise for you to go home today and say, man, what does it look like if Jesus were to come back tomorrow? My financial situation. A financial counselor is going to say, no, the, the emergency fund's off limits, the retirement's off limits, but God may say, you know what? If there's a need, how can we justify saving for potential, not even guaranteed future needs, when there are incredible needs left and right around you right now? And so we're neglecting present needs for something that we may even never need if Jesus comes back. What if the millions of dollars that are stored up in retirement accounts were freed up to go get after the mission of God? What if just a little bit of it? What if, not we, what if we didn't just sell everything, but we say, you know what? I'm going to free up some, and I'm going to trust that God will provide, because I believe that the whole purpose we're here is to see the gospel taken to the ends of the earth. Final thought, when in doubt, give, don't hoard. As you wrestle through this tension, if you've got to fall on one side or the other, it's give. Paul in 1 Timothy 6 says this, As for the rich in this present age, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. The clear teaching of Scripture is that we're not to be a storehouse collecting things. We're to be a channel by which things flow through us. John Reddy shared last week, we're an aircraft carrier. We're not the final destination. Money is just being used to funnel it to God's purposes. And so at the end of the day, this is why we've structured our sermon series the way it has. You give first. You save second. Practically speaking, me and my wife, we live on a budget. We've done this for a number of years. When we put down a budget and we pinky swear on it, and and we do money together. It's not, I've got my money and she's got her money. My money's hers, her money's mine. This is what it for us, it looks like to be one flesh. We want to do everything we can to make sure that we can't get divorced. One of the best ways we can do that is just make it all one. So we're going to be one flesh, not just physically, but financially. And we pinky swear on our money, on our budget. And what we do, the very first line item, some of you guys have seen it. I do premarital counseling. I've shared my budget with you. Giving. And we started from the very first year that we got married, we're going to prioritize at least 10% to our local church. 
This is, I've been in a, doing a grad school for the past 10 years, master's and PhD. Even in that, 10% is going to my local church because I believe it's the primary avenue by which God fulfills the Great Commission. Not just because I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian first. Second, I build in a Great Commission line item. This is a thing like a turkey giveaway. This is a support, maybe a friend who's going to go adopt, who, who serves with Campus Crusade for Christ, or a student that's going to do a summer missionary. I want other opportunities. That's in my budget first. I don't jump down to spending. We're going to talk about that next week. I first budget my giving. Second, I budget my saving. This is practically how I work out what this looks like. Because I want to prioritize and make sure God is being honored in how I spend my money. And so the point of the sermon is this. We should save in order to be wise and not presume upon God, but not so much that we're tempted to deny him. So I leave you with this Proverbs, which I think sums up a great framework for us to think of money. And it says this, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. Neither poverty nor riches. I believe this is a great framework to think about the two-sided coin of the wisdom of saving and the wisdom of giving. This requires the leading of the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit of God daily to guide you. But my prayer, look, my, our desire in this money series is not that we see a, a change today in the offering plate or next week. You know what I want to see? How is this change in your life a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? If you will apply some of these principles now, it will radically change your life. Are you building a kingdom for yourself? Or are you invested in the eternal kingdom of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father.